0: But tonight, if you have your Bible, open it to uh, 1 Samuel, or excuse me, 2 Samuel chapter 6, and I want us to look at a lesson from um, an Old Testament story from the life of David that I think is just, man, there's so many things that we can learn from it. And these these principles that we learn, they they tell us about God, they tell us about ourselves, and uh, even though it's a different scenario that we'll never run across, we'll never be in that situation. The principles behind them uh, we deal with every single day. And so let's look at this story from Second uh, Samuel chapter six, and it has to do with the Ark of the Covenant. Um, just to give you a little bit of background before we get to the lessons, the Ark of the Covenant was an important piece of furniture. In the history of Israel. You remember Aholiab and Bezalel were commissioned to, to construct this as well as other pieces of furniture as they traveled through the uh, wilderness. And this is where atonement was made. This is where God's presence was. And, and it was a very significant place, and, and it was a chest, uh, smaller probably than this right here, the, the table here. It had rings on the side where you put staves through it to carry the rods, and, and they would carry it on their shoulders, the, the, uh, uh, the Levites or the Koathites within the, the family of the Levites. Uh, on top of it, there were the cherubim, the two, uh, angelic beings with their wings covering the Ark of the Covenant. Inside was uh, the Ten Commandments, a uh, pot of manna, and uh, Aaron's rod that budded. And so this, um, this is significant. And for a while, this ark had been carried around and moved in different places. And, and it was time What David is now king, and he says, you know, I, I'm going to bring this thing back to Jerusalem and uh, establish it here in the city of God. And so David goes out, and and he gets some men, a lot of men, to go out and and get the Ark of the Covenant from uh, a man's house, and then they were going to move it back to uh, Jerusalem. That's great idea. Um, the place where it was at uh, Abinadab's house—that's about 15 miles from Jerusalem. It's quite a long way for these priests to carry. On their shoulders, so I don't know who came up with the idea, but they had the idea. We'll just get some oxen, and we'll get uh, a cart, and we'll put it on that, and we'll we'll haul it back. Well, this man lived on a hill, and they they loaded up the ark on the back of this cart, and you know it looked like it was going to fall. You can't let the ark of the covenant fall. I mean, this is too precious. This is this is a monument. And so, you remember Uzzah reached out his hand to steady it so that it wouldn't fall to the ground. And when he touched it, he was dead. God struck him dead. There was a commandment that says, don't touch the ark, and he touched it. He violated the commandment, and God disciplined him in in that particular fashion. Well, when David saw what God had done to Uzzah, he... Well, he got upset with God. Um, he basically pouted and went home. And he had the Ark of the Covenant taken to another man's house, Obed Edom. And he said, Here, you, you, you put it in, in your house and leave it there for a while and, uh, might come back and get it. But, but, you know, he left it for a long time. Three months later, some men came to David and said, you know this this man in whom in in his house the ark of the covenant was left oh god is blessing him and so david said well we we've, we've got to get this ark and so they went back this time this time they respected the word of god in fact if you have uh, the parallel account in first chronicles chapter 15 they went back consulting first the word of god now what does it say how are we supposed to carry this they go back with a completely different attitude, and they get the Ark of the Covenant. They bring it back to Jerusalem and uh, end the story, at least for our purposes here tonight. That's the story in a nutshell. That's what we read about in 2 Samuel chapter 6. But what I'd like for us to do tonight is to look at that account and then ask ourselves some questions. What can we learn from this? What's in this that will help me to be more faithful to God, keep me from making the same mistakes they made? Are there any any suggestions here? I think there are a number of them, and let's look at some of them together. First of all, this. Number one, God demands obedience. Uh, you know, we live in a society that... So many rules are hedged and, and, and we just, you know, we, we don't follow. As parents, we, we lay down a law. We say, this is the way it's gonna be. And, and then, you know, we, we, we back off. We don't follow through. Uh, you know, uh, you probably have remembered times when you were in trouble and, and you got one of those dreaded, when we get home, you know, maybe you're out in public. And so your parents don't want to do anything in public. And so they say, when we get home, and so you know what's coming, and you get home, they've forgotten all about it. You know, it's, it was just words. How many times have you been in Walmart and in and the stores and, and kids throwing fits and you hear these people, if you do that one more time, and uh, they don't mean it, um, I'd like to see the one more time and have them really act But it's just, we're so accustomed to words not really meaning and having weight. It's not that way with God. When he says something, he means it. And he expects to be obeyed. Many think that God is kind of like man. And God goes to great lengths to try to inform, I'm not like you. I'm not like a man. I keep my word. I keep my promises. I don't break my vows. And when I say something, I mean it. And that's a lesson that a lot of people need to learn today. God is concerned about his will, about his word. Too many people are banking on the fact that God will change his mind, not necessarily change his mind, but just just not follow through with what he initially said. People say, you know, God has a prerogative to just, you know, undo what he said. But God already exercised his prerogative in making the commandments. He can't go back on his word. He can't break his promises. He has to be faithful. The Bible tells us in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15, do you remember when Saul went down and he was to utterly destroy the Amalekites? And they went down there and, boy, they just whipped them. They had a great victory. They... And they were supposed to destroy everything, but they kept the king. They brought back some animals to sacrifice, you know, as a a victory, you know, thing. Um, But Samuel, when Saul was approaching, he said, what is this I hear? I hear the sound of sheep, the bleeding of sheep. And he said, well, you know, we went down there and did what God wanted us to do, but we kept some of the animals to bring back and we we're going to offer them as a sacrifice to God because he's been so good to us. And, and uh, Samuel said, to obey is better than to sacrifice and to hearken or listen. That's better than the fat of rams. You need to listen to God. And Saul lost his kingship over that because God meant what he said. In Genesis chapter 6, when... Uh, well, excuse me, in Genesis chapter 19, when, when Lot's wife was taken away out of the city with Lot and by the angels, they were told, do not look back. But what did she do? She looked back. And I understand why she looked back. She had children there. And I'm sure she heard the commotion of the city being destroyed behind her. It, it's not unthinkable to turn around and look. But God said, don't. And because she did, she was disciplined, turned into a pillar of salt. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21 reminds us, warns us, not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. We're reminded we've we've got to be faithful. We've got to be obedient. David did the wrong thing. Even though it was good to try to bring the Ark of the Covenant back, and even though it was good that they didn't want it to fall, they did the wrong thing. They put it on a cart rather than had the priests carry it. So it was disobedience. Um, Here's a second thing that I learned from this, and that is that convenience doesn't trump the Word of God. Fifteen miles, that's a long way to carry... a a chest of this size that is overlaid in gold. Gold's pretty heavy. we got to carry that for 15... Do you know how long it's going to take? I can see the reasons behind the cart from a human perspective. And I can see the convenience of the cart. But God's not interested in convenience here. He's interested in obedience. And, you know, we have the same problem today. We don't, it doesn't have anything to do with the Ark of the Covenants. But it has to do with things like, are we going to make this church user friendly or not? And what that means to a lot of people is something far different than what God wants. I'm all for being user friendly. But you know there are a lot of churches today that just wouldn't pass the grade, and all these books on church growth that are written and marketing the church and the gospel and all that—it just the churches, good churches of the Bible, would never cut the grade when when measured up against all this marketing philosophy. The church of Jerusalem, hey, you got two people that told a little fib. Do you kill them? That's what the church of Jerusalem did. God disciplined Ananias and Sapphira. That's not very user friendly. Um, and you can go on and on and look at things in, in scripture. It, it, I understand to try to reach out to people, but you can't market the gospel that way. You can't, well, listen, Galatians chapter five says this in verse 11. There is an offense to the gospel. And if you remove the offense, you remove the heart of the gospel. The offense is that Jesus died on the cross and that we're sinners and we caused that to happen. And that calls me out. And and there's no way to soften that. You can't package that. You can't make it look pretty. You can't put a little bow on it and say, oh, everybody's got to have this because this is really... There's that offense to the gospel and it'll never be marketable. In that respect, we need to more concern ourselves with the word of God than with convenience and making people happy and meeting people's needs or their perceived needs. If it violates the word of God, um, he said, I want you to carry this ark. They didn't do it for convenience sake. He didn't say, well, you know, I understand it is a long way. He expected it to be done. We need to obey him today, even when it's not convenient. Another thing that I learned from this account is that feelings don't determine truth. Look at what took place in this chapter. David and the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments they they had uh all kind of things taking place in this chapter. They brought the cart up and there's tambourines and cymbals and sistrums and and stringed instruments and um, instruments of fir wood on harps. They've got this huge entourage, this band playing as they're gonna go back to Jerusalem. It was a big deal. And this party atmosphere, this this praise and all this, and you gotta look at that and think Wow, how holy, how spiritual. These guys are <clears throat> are really into it. They've got their music, they're all singing, they're all do- holy. But it wasn't. It wasn't holy at all. Their feelings, they felt like it was one of the best worship days of their life, I'm sure. But it was all wrong. How many people today put their stock in feelings? Oh man, I went to this and and, it was such an emotional experience and I had this euphoria that I have never felt before. It had to have been of God. I hope so, but not necessarily so. It depends on truth. And there are some things, you know, spiritual and emotional are not the same things. You know what's spiritual? This is an important point. You know what's spiritual? What is spiritual is what God says is spiritual. That makes it spiritual because he said so. It has nothing to do with how you feel about things. Why is being baptized, getting dunked in water is spiritual? Why is that? not because of any kind of an emotional thing, it's just because God said it is. And when a person does something that heightens the emotions and gets you ramped up and you're way up here, you can call it emotional, but be careful because it may not be spiritual. The two are not the same thing. And we need to be uh, aware of and cognizant of the fact that feelings do not determine truth. Proverbs 14 and verse 12, there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. Here's another lesson we can learn. Good intentions don't excuse disobedience. Convenience doesn't excuse it, nor does good intentions. Well, why did he, why did he do this? Why did he touch the ark? I know the law said don't touch the ark, but why did he do it? To save the ark from being crushed. It was still wrong. Good intentions, but it was still wrong. In Acts 23 and verse 1, Saul said of his, or Paul said of his previous life, you know, I, I did all things in all good conscience. Uh, you know, I was putting men and women in prison. I, I held the clothes of uh, the guys that stoned Stephen to death. I was right there. I was in the middle of it. Um, I, I put men and women, I consented to their death. But he said, I did all of that in good conscience, but he was wrong. And I think of Lot's wife again, you know, in Genesis chapter 19. Man, I can understand. Uh, She doesn't mean to do wrong. It it may have been a knee-jerk. She didn't even think. It It was reflexive. I can see that coming about, but she did wrong. God expects us to do right. And even though we have good intentions, it doesn't justify us in doing wrong. And here's another lesson we learn. The goodness and severity of God, the nature of God is seen in this. Uh, God can be severe. Man, he struck down uh, Uzzah. And we can sit back and say, well, that is kind of drastic. How come, why does God strike some people down like that in the Old Testament and, and not give them a second chance? And and I know of David, he made mistakes, and he didn't struck down like that. And well, why is that? Well, that's a lesson in and of itself. I think some of it has to do with God's foreknowledge, his, his infinite wisdom. Um, but it's his to discipline as he wishes. But that's what he did. He was severe toward Uzzah because it was a disobedience with the Levites, with the way they carried it, uh, with touching it. There was a host of things that were wrong with it. But then, here's Obed-Edom. They bring it to his house, and he's blessed. God is good as well. What must it have been like? Have you ever wondered what it would have been like to have had... King David, knock on your door one day and say, hey, let us in, it's King. king, we're here, we got the Ark of the Covenant. We'd like to put this in your living room for a few months, okay? Can you imagine the Ark of the Covenant in your house? How would that change your life in your household for the next couple months? I wonder if it would change us. If we set that Ark of the Covenant right next to the television, would we watch the same programs would we be quicker to turn the channel or to mute or to turn it off completely? Obed-Edom had this Ark of the Covenant in his house, and he was he was blessed. Uzzah, he faced the wrath of God. The fact that God is good doesn't mean that he can't be severe. And the fact that he's severe doesn't mean he can't be good. His nature is both. Romans chapter 11, verse 22, reminds us, Behold the goodness and the severity of God. Good toward those who obey Him, uh, severe toward those who disobey. And then last, um, notice the attitude of David. David seems to have approached this thing like a lot of people do when they come to church today, um, in this day and age. We come to church and we don't realize the occasion. Uh, It's a fearful thing. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of his saints. And yet we just come come on in and yuck it up and, and have a good time. And, and I'm not saying that's wrong, but there's a time where you turn that off and you get your attention directed. We're worshiping God. It's not about the person next to you. At this point, it's about devotion to God. And if I don't do that, I end up offending God in one way or another. I lose my focus, and I end up not worshiping. And then what I've done to obey God, I've ended up, I go home at the end of the day, and I haven't obeyed him. David came, had this grand scheme, never consulted the word of God, and he makes a mess of things. And he gets mad at God because of what God does. But his attitude changes. It took a little while. But he finally comes to himself, and I want you to turn in First Chronicles chapter fifteen because I want you to see the difference. The first time he comes, and and there's all these, you know, it's just this party atmosphere, these these this band going, and and little regard to the word of God is given here, and and they just hustle in and put that cart up and trouble, nothing but trouble. But now look. At the second time, when he goes back, he says in verse 13, the Lord said, for because you did not do it the first time, the Lord, our God, broke out against us because we did not consult him about the proper order. We didn't give thought to spiritual. things. We never even thought to consider the word of God in this whole matter. We didn't give thought to the proper order. So the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. And the children of the Levites and the children of the Levites bore the ark of God on their shoulders by its poles as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. First time they didn't give any thought to what God's will was. They were just going to go get an ark and bring it back to Jerusalem. They gave no heed to the word of God. They learned their lesson. This time, they say, we've got to pay attention. We've got to look in God's word and see what it says. And to show the difference in the attitude of David, every five paces, all the way back to Jerusalem, they offered a sacrifice to God. I don't know if they stopped, you know, the procession and just came to a complete halt and built this altar and offered a sacrifice and went another few paces and did it again and did it again and did it again, left a trail all the way. I don't know if that's the way they did it or if the ark just went on and they had people that did it as they proceeded on and left the, you know, went on ahead, but every so many paces they, it was filled with respect this time. You're not going to catch us being frivolous. You're not going to catch us being disrespectful this time. We're going to take into account what your word says, and we're going to honor you every step of the way. And this time they had no problem. God is greatly to be feared. But so, you know, like I said, there are so many lessons. And these things, they apply to us. The the mistakes that he made are mistakes people make today. The character of God needs to be understood today. There are people who think God could never punish. He's like a grandfatherly figure that just loves everybody, but he's good and severe. I hope that by looking at some of these things tonight, we'll just give a little closer attention to our lives to make sure that we're obeying him, that we're consulting the book, that we don't run ahead And just get involved because I like it, it's convenient, it stirs my emotions. Those things don't matter if they violate the will of God. Let's make sure that we're walking in truth, uh, both spirit and with our actions. If you're here this evening and you're not yet a child of God, why don't you take this opportunity? God demands obedience, he calls you to repent of your sins, to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. I don't know how it's going to fly in light of what we see about Uzzah to to stand before him in the day of judgment and say, "No, I never did do that." You know, I know what it said, but I never did do that because you know that Sunday that I was at church when I could, I'd just been to the beauty shop the week before, and you know, I'm getting my hair all messed up. I, you know, you understand, right? Well, if God understands that, he would probably owe us an apology. We need to be faithful. If he calls you to obey him, if you haven't, do that tonight. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful, and you need the prayers of your brethren, we'll pray with you. If you'll come as we stand together and sing.